0: Alley Cats Podcast. We'll come rain shine or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State Sporting News you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltasar. And welcome to the weekly recap where this week we have a brand new football commit to cover the first of the 2025 recruiting class, as well as the women's and men's catsketball team, I guess. But just starting off with the brand new commit, it's seemingly been for the at least the past two years, that the first commit is pretty close to always being, or at least the quarterback is among the first commits. And this year is no exception with the quarterback from the greater St. Louis area, from DeSmet High School, and that is Dylan Duff, who was recruited by Matt Wells and what ended up being a pretty quick recruitment for K State because Matt Wells ended up landing his commitment within three weeks of being on staff, which is the craziest part. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: the, the, that's a good way to put it is this did go really quickly. Um, I like that not only was Matt Wells able to move really fast uh, once he got on staff, but also um, that we're able to break into the St. Louis area again because uh, I know that's an area that we've recruited pretty heavily uh, just not had a lot of success. I think Donovan McIntosh is from there. Yeah, Donnie's from that area. And I there, I think there's probably a couple others that I'm just not thinking of right now. But I think that's an area K-State would really like to get into. Um, but K-State beat out some really quality programs for Dylan Duff. And Nebraska had offered. Georgia Tech had offered. Um, Missouri had offered, which I think that he was number two on their board right now for quarterbacks. Uh And then a few other Power Fives. There was nine total Power Fives that offered uh, Dylan Duff. And it was still early-ish in his recruitment, uh, which he definitely could have probably garnered a few more, I think. But uh, I'll I'll let you go first on what you think about Duff, though.
0: Yeah, the thing that kind of strikes me most about Dylan Duff is he's just really polished for his age. Um, Like Just generally as a quarterback, he's looked like the, the most... He's looked the most traditionally quarterbacky of any quarterback that we've recruited since probably either Jake ha- Jake Howard, Jake Rubley or Will Howard. Um, it's just a lot of really clean mechanics outside of whenever he's having to extend the player when something isn't there. Right now, he's a quarterback that really seems to thrive in structure, which makes sense. He's only been starting for one year. That doesn't mean that he can't make off-structure plays or off-platform plays, but I think it's his current skill set is more set to he knows what he's looking at, and he can make the right decision pretty quickly, and he can do so cleanly. And I think that's sort of how I would describe Dylan Duff, is he's a very clean quarterback.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. There's a few attributes about him that I particularly really like. I love his release. Uh, It's really, really smooth and quick as well. Uh, I also really like his pocket awareness. Uh, I feel like he was generally pretty good at uh, manipulating the pocket and knowing when to to get out. And his ball placement also was generally pretty good as well. Uh, His arm strength is fine, but I... I think that he um, has a lot of really positive traits, uh, especially for a quarterback that was in his first year starting last year. And uh, uh, he does have mobility to his game. Um, I didn't come away super impressed with it on my first watch of his highlights, but subsequent watches I uh, was a bit more impressed with his mobility than I had been initially. One could say that he had deceptive speed, but (laughs) I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Dylan Duff. I think he has probably low-end four-star potential when it's all said and done, especially given his mechanics right now. I think if uh, he just becomes a better playmaker, then he could definitely see his, uh, his rankings go up. But I really like him right now. And he feels very much like a Matt Wells quarterback to me, uh, which, which it makes a lot of sense that Matt Wells went after a guy like Dylan Duff. And it's also impressive that when we got Wells, we didn't, Re-offer, I think either of the other two quarterbacks that we had offered before, which was Alex mansky and uh, Jameson Kitna. And so Mansky committed elsewhere really quickly, and then we just went out, found our guy, and closed super fast.
0: Yeah. And I, I also think it's worth noting that, you know, some people have comped Dylan Duff to Skyler Thompson. I don't see that, really. I think he's... I, 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 okay, in terms of, like... Pure, like if he was put in an NCAA game, yeah, I'd probably put him and Skyler on the like same rating as in their true freshman season. But Dylan Duff, I think, is a much better, true, like passing quarterback. Uh, Skyler's almost certainly the better deep threat, but Dylan Duff is certain is near certainly the better processor and certainly has a faster release. Yeah, that, that's
1: the big thing. That, I'm glad you mentioned processing because I did also really come away liking. Dylan Duff's ability to read the field and process quickly, uh, which that's something that K-State has to really like in its quarterbacks in particular. Um, it seems they've really put an emphasis on uh, intelligent quarterbacks uh, as of late, which you kind of have to be intelligent to be a quarterback regardless. But it seems that they've really got a tight for hyper-intelligent quarterbacks. Uh, a guy like, like Will Howard, I think, is the perfect example there because he got offered by the entire Ivy League. But uh, that that same can still be said for a guy like Jacob Knuth or Blake Barnett or Avery Johnson. So, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Dylan Duff. Um, where his career will take him, I'm not sure, because uh, he'll if because he'll be in an interesting position where probably in a couple years, maybe three down the line, he'll uh, be in a probably fairly open quarterback competition at some point with Barnett, Knuth. I mean, it's hard to really sit here and say who's going to be in the QB room and given today's college football world. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, I like Dylan Duff. I, uh, I'm excited to see how he develops over these uh, next, uh, this next about year and a half ish. Um, but he's really good. He's really good. I'm pretty happy with this being our uh, first commit. I hope we can build on this with some uh, particular uh, weapons that K-State has offered. Guys like uh, uh, Lincoln Cure, uh, Ontario Alston out of Arkansas, Deshaun Bram out of Wichita, Derby to be specific. Uh, There's some really quality uh, athletes that K-State's after right now. And I think getting your quarterback early can potentially be helpful with that.
0: Yeah. I agree. So, welcome to the family, Dylan Duff. Now we can go into the women's Catskipball team, starting with the, of the two games, the worrying of the two, I suppose would be the best way to put it. And that was the UCF game. We K-State was without Ioka Lee in this game, who basically tweaked her other ankle. Not the one she had surgery on, but the one she didn't. But she has two, so yes, by process of elimination, Austin. But it was a 60-58 Wildcat victory, and it only really got interesting at the end when UCF charged back to make it a tie game. And it was off of a very lucky, no-one-covering-Jalen-Glenn-under-the-basket layup that eventually won the game for K-State. And this was a frustrating game, to say the least, uh, a big part of it was the fact that we shot 13 and a third percent from three, two of 15, but also we only shot 12 of 22 from the free throw line, which was 54 and a half percent. And those have kind of been the two big bugbears for K-State, especially the women's team, towards the back end of the year. It's been free throws and three-point percentage, and it's it's been mad annoying.
1: Yeah, um... I was able to be at this game. Uh, pretty sizable crowd. I think it was somewhere between six and th- 7,000. Uh, but yeah, three-point shooting was brutal in this one. Uh, the first quarter particularly was really brutal. Uh, we had a great second quarter, though. Uh, but yeah, it seems like this team has really struggled uh, to put games away. Because we were up by double figures in the second half, but we let UCF back into it. Uh, we just... I didn't really stop them at various points. Um, still hold them under 60, which is good. But I I feel like we could have done more in this one. I mean, a win's a win. A win counts all the same. So I'm not going to sit here and bellyache too much. Uh, but it just wasn't the most impressive performance in the world, uh, especially given the expectations that I think we've developed for this team. And I think they've earned uh those expectations as well because they're uh they're just that good. But I'm I was happy I was able to go. Uh it was there was a great crowd pop at the very end, uh when uh, we found Jill and Glenn for that layup. Uh and so the the crowd was pretty into it. The crowd was pretty involved. Uh it was it was a, a good environment. And I'm glad that we were able to come away with the win. I just you know I wish that we be a little bit more convincing sometimes
0: yeah and I, I think that's the best way to put it but I'll go ahead and go into the starters leading scorer was Gabby Gregory who played 36 minutes seven of 14 from the field one of eight from three she took by far the most threes on the team more than double the next highest amount was four or five on her free throws got seven rebounds four fouls one assist three turnovers one block one steal 19 points So she stuffed the stat sheet Serena Sendell, 34 minutes, 5 of 8 from the field, 0 of 4 on her free throws. 3 rebounds, 4 fouls, 5 assists, 7 turnovers, 1 block, 10 total points. Jalen Glenn, 35 minutes, 2 of 8 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3. 3 rebounds, 2 assists, 7 steals, and 5 total points. Gisela Sanchez, 7 minutes, 0 of 3 from the field, 1 of 200 free throws, 1 rebound, 1 foul, 1 turnover, 1 point. And then Briley Glenn rounds out the starting 5. 15 minutes, 0 of 6 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, 1 turnover, and 2 steals with no points. So the, the big thing that bothers me here is the inefficiency from the free throw line and, it, well, be honest, it, it Gabby's been bad. From three this year
1: yeah uh, it's been pretty brutal uh, luckily in this game though we did adjust for that and uh, she was very effective around the basket uh, uh, that was kind of a, a throwback to the gabby of last year uh, really where we saw her uh, we, we kind of would space the floor and then isolate her in the paint and she has fairly good paint instincts for guard uh, some of that is just because she's so strong uh, but she ended up being able to feed the post with Gabby uh, late, later in the game, especially in the second half. That was huge. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that we were able to adjust there because at times we have struggled with adjusting uh, offensively this season, but this game we were kind of able to um, adjust to what UCF was giving us, and that was huge down the stretch.
0: Cool. Yep. But you have the uh, bench players. Yep.
1: So the – Main uh, name to take away from this game is Eliza Maupin uh, off the bench. She had another great game. she has been very hot and cold this year. You're either getting a lot or not much from her. There's not been many average games from Eliza Maupin, but she went 33 minutes in this one and 5 of 6 from the field, 5 of 9 at the free throw line, and finished with 15 points. She had 11 rebounds as well, 6 of them were offensive, so she gets a double-double. Uh, she had one foul, one assist, two turnovers, and then three steals as well. She's so good at getting in the post. And then, for lack of a better word, kind of pulling the chair out from under a, uh, uh, the person that she's guarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they're used to that leverage of her being there. And she just steps out from around them and just knocks the ball away. Yeah, And she's gotten really good at that. And part of that's just because she's so athletic and has great instincts. Uh, But Zianna Walker also had a quality game. She was getting to the bucket um, and had some really nice contested layups. She's been really good in that game, um, especially in conference play when the three-point shot has been falling quite as much. But she gave us 28 good minutes, uh, 4 of 7 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, 2 of 2 at the free throw line, uh, finished with 10 points. And she had five rebounds, two fouls, four assists to just one turnover, and then she added a block and two steals. So, really, really good game from Zy Walker. And I'm glad that she's been able to adjust her game uh, where she hasn't been shooting as many threes, uh, but she's been so good at getting to the bucket this year. And then Terrence Sides, she played 12 minutes, didn't make any shots, and had two rebounds, one foul, and one turnover. Uh, So not the greatest day for her, uh, but uh, she's been very hot and cold as well in uh, conference play, even coming off of what was a really good non-conference. But she just needs a little bit more time. This is valuable minutes for her.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really important to note is just like the the bench production that K-State has been able to get, even when you have moments of I I suppose the best way to probably put it would be moments of weakness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a fair way to put it. But the next women's game was up against West Virginia. This was a top twenty five matchup and this was a classic game and I kinda wish K State would stop being in classic games because it's goodness gracious, it's it's stressful. But the beginning of this game is terrible. K-State looked terrible. <laughs> like, really, really bad. Second half, second quarter was really good. Third was mid. And then the fourth quarter, we should have won, but we forgot that we had a foul to give, so we forced overtime. But then someone named Ioka Lee, uh, you know, decided that she was going to completely take over. <laughs>
1: yeah, sometimes Aoka Lee has these games where she just decides that she is going to win whether we want to or not, Mm -hmm. and this was one of those games uh, because not only was she doing this on two bum ankles, she put up all these stats in just 26 minutes, and she was phenomenal in the parts of the game that I watched. I I have a late class on Wednesday, so I was only able to watch the second half. I was just sitting there fuming at the stat track (laughs) (laughs) during the uh, uh, first half. It
0: wasn't better watching it. Yeah,
1: I I do not doubt it. I was thinking about pulling it up, but I saw the score, and I was like, <laughs> that wouldn't help at all. But Ayokali, Lee, uh, 26 minutes, 12 of 17 from the field, 10 of 14 at the free throw line. So she finished with 34 in this one. Just an absolute dominant performance by Ayokali. Uh, 12 rebounds as well, uh, three of those on offense. Only one foul. In the 26 minutes she played. Uh, so that just goes to show how dominant she was defensively. And uh, she had one assist, just two turnovers, two blocks, both of which were comical. And <laughs> then added a steal as well. Uh, and in and overtime, she was uh, showing a lot of passion, which she normally doesn't. She's normally very reserved as far as great players go. Because normally you, you see a lot of great players kind of wear their heart on their sleeve but Ayoka Lee's generally the opposite. But you could tell that she was really in the zone in, in this game. Uh, maybe it was some pent-up frustration with the injuries and not having been able to play very much. But she was uh, she was fantastic. This was this going to go down as one of her career games, I think, even though she's obviously had games where she's dropped more than 34. She's dropped more, more than double that. Yeah, Or uh, she's dropped almost double that before. But doing it in just 26 minutes on two injured ankles in a game where she was uh, limited. I mean, just 26 minutes to get this production is incredible. Uh, But Serena Sundell's next on our list. Uh, She played 32 minutes, went 5 of 10 from the field, made one three-point shot on one attempt, and she did get injured on the attempt. Should have been a foul. Yeah, should have been a foul, uh, because I think it's generally a foul when you don't give proper space uh, to the shooter to land. On a three. So that's what that should have been, but they didn't call it. She missed her one free throw. Uh, so she finished with 11 points and had one rebound, one foul, three assists to five turnovers, two blocks, and a steal. Uh, so kind of turnover happy. Uh, in general, we were pretty turnover happy. We had like 12 turnovers in the first quarter. Uh, it was pretty abysmal. Uh, then Briley Glenn she played I think that's 38 minutes Uh, it's tough to read the font on the new website yeah
0: the new website's not great it's not it
1: it really isn't Uh, but Briley Glenn uh, 38 minutes 2-5 from the field one of one from three and three of six at the free throw line she actually finished with 10 rebounds uh, which is uh, surprising Uh, and then Uh, One foul, one assist, two turnovers, a steal, and then finished with those eight
0: points. He was also teed up for trying to tell the referees that Serena was hurt. Yeah,
1: that that was a pretty brutal call. Um, But Bradley, 38 good minutes, then making the one three-point shot. Jalen Glenn played 43, two of three from the field, one of one from three, and made her two free throws. So she finished with seven points, had five rebounds, four fouls, three assists, four turnovers, and three steals. So a good game for Jalen Glenn. Then Gabby Gregory played 40, uh, 0 of 4 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, made three of her four free throws. So she just had the three points, and she had three rebounds, eight assists to five turnovers. So the turnover numbers are high, not efficient shooting, but the eight assists are still good. Uh, But Um, is the the obvious dominant factor in the uh, starting lineup. Uh, And this is, I think, another example of a game where Serena needs to be taking more shots and needs to be even more aggressive, which I feel like almost every game she's ever played is an example of that, because so many of the buckets she gets are are just easy for her. and uh, Some of that may just be a really good understanding of when she has leverage and when she doesn't, but I, I I really want Serena Sundell to do more because she is just so talented. But this isn't Serena Sundell's game. This is Aoki Lee's game.
0: Yeah. But there were a few bench pieces as well. Liza and played 19 minutes. Two six from the field, one of four in her free throws, seven rebounds, two fouls, one turnover, two blocks, two steals, five total points. Taryn Sides hit one of the most impactful threes of the game in her 16 minutes. She was one of three from the field, one of two from three. Two rebounds, one assist, one turnover, one steal. The steal was also very consequential on a fast break where she just kind of, yep, that's mine now. <laughs> and then Zywalker, 11 minutes, 1 of 5 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3. One rebound, three turnovers, and two total points. The big bugbear in this game was, again, free throws and the fact that we only shot from three seven times. But free throws were the massive headache this game.
1: Yeah, especially in key situations, because 19-31 is already not great. That's over 60%, so it could be worse. But the issue was we were not making our free throws when we needed to make our free throws. And we could have ended the game in regulation multiple times, and we just weren't hitting our free throws. Uh, Bradley Glenn missed a few. I think Gabby missed one. Eliza missed a few Uh, I think even Aoka Lee missed uh, a couple. She missed a seal.
0: She missed one that would have sealed it. Yeah. So
1: uh, difficult, uh, really frustrating, because um, uh, there's been a few situations like that this year. We're just not hitting our free throws in the clutch. Luckily it didn't bite us here, but it's going to bite us uh, and arguably has at points. Uh, But still, this was an interesting change in strategy. Of course, some of it has Lee being back, but team-wide, there was also a, a pretty significant emphasis, it seemed, on not taking a lot of threes. Uh, four of seven, uh, so 57% on your threes with an admittedly small sample size, but I guess our logic is even if we're decent shooters and we know that, the shots aren't falling in game, and if that's the case, then we need to be taking fewer of them and trying to get to the bucket and get free throws. And I guess we're going death by a 1,000 cuts since we know we aren't the best at shooting free throws right now. So we're figuring just keep attempting them, and at some point you'll start making them, which we did. We made 19. Um, But uh, luckily we got past our first quarter struggles, and we were great in overtime as well. Uh, The defense locked in after a while. I think there were nine gap goats in this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, So almost a gritty and tough performance against a, I would say underrated West Virginia team. They were only ranked 22nd, but this is only like their fourth loss on the year, mm-hmm. which is absolutely nuts to me that they're only 22 when their record is like 22 and four or yeah. something like that. <clears throat> yeah. It's ridiculous. But K-State wins off points in the paint. They got 42 of them, uh, 45 rebounds. Uh, it was massive. 23 turnovers. It was pretty terrible. Um, uh, but they did calm down a lot in the second half and overtime. Most of those turnovers
0: came in the first quarter. Yeah. <laughs> so. First quarter was atrocious, but K-State is now in a pretty decent position for their Big 12 hopes. They just need Oklahoma to lose to one of Oklahoma State, Texas, or KU, and if we win out, you know, we will probably end up with a share of the Big 12 title. And because we end up playing KU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech at in Lawrence, in Bramlage, and in Lubbock. Texas Tech isn't that great this year. Iowa State, whenever they aren't having devil magic in Hilton, um, it, it's not magic actually. It's just referees getting intimidated for some reason because I guess they park their cars right outside and they have a specific ref spot. But, <clears throat> you know, it's it, it's looking good. For the women's team and now we can talk about the long-awaited return of the batcats a team that i forgot to mention in the preview but it's still important to note that the batcats are indeed playing baseball now
1: <laughs> yeah um i'm
0: happy that they're back
1: Um they um already have four games under their belt and they've got three more coming up this weekend for their home opener um uh, but it was a all things considered uh, a fine um opening weekend uh, especially given the competition that we were facing uh on um, the teams that we lost to were the type of teams that they've been able to practice outdoors a lot mm-hmm. and the teams we beat are teams that haven't been able to practice outdoors much very similar to us but we're just better than them. So it, with the gift of hindsight this went probably pretty much how it should have uh, but still frustrating to drop a couple games where it really felt like we could have won them. Uh, but all in all it was still a pretty productive trip and baseball's a, a long long season so I'm not gonna be over here wringing my hands about uh, you know a couple early season losses.
0: Yeah, especially given the fact that K-State, I think, mo- by most metrics, has the hardest strength of schedule in the non-con this year. We-, we probably overcorrected in that regard to getting RPI'd last year, but we can just start from the top. We're not going to go through every single like stat line because there's still other stuff that we want to cover and we don't want to be here for an hour and a half. But we'll just go over the most notable performances starting with day one, which was a 6-3 to loss up against Cal in a game broadcast on MLB Network. And to me, the most notable performances were pretty much it, it went down to Daniel Rivera having a really, really good day, two for four. Um, Brendan Jones had two RBI off of a really, really good home run that he just yoinked. But outside of that, Caelan Culpepper had a two very near home runs one just ended up being a double rafi ended up hitting the nuke that wasn't it just disappeared into the night <laughs> yeah it was a hit
1: that it just curled foul but if it had stayed fair it probably would have gone like 450 yeah <laughs> and it, it, i mean it, it when we say it disappeared it, it was nighttime it literally the ball literally disappeared yeah you could not see
0: it yeah. But also Lobeliner went uh, two for four with a hit. Lobeliner has been, at the beginning of the year, has been really, really good.
1: Yeah. Uh, he's been good uh, pitching. Uh, Borma was um, just kind of okay. Uh, he only went three innings. Uh, he did get four strikeouts, but he allowed two. Uh, so not the best outing for him. Josh Wintryb, uh wasn't fantastic. But Jack Wentworth had a pretty solid outing, all things considered. Uh, Just one earned run and two and two-thirds of five strikeouts and a walk.
0: And also he punched himself in the face. Yeah,
1: he did. He punched himself in the face numerous times uh, coming onto the the field. Uh, I guess it worked because he ended up having uh, the best outing of the day for any K-State pitcher. um, And has also changed up his game a lot. He's a curveball guy now as opposed to being a more traditional uh, fastball slider heavy. Uh, But he's... uh, Still using the fastball, but he's more change up and uh, curveball reliant now. And seems to have found a pretty decent niche there so far. It's early, but he looked fairly decent.
0: Yeah. But are there any other, you know, notable performances you want to talk about, or do you just want to talk about the game more generally for a minute or two? No, you can just talk about the game. Okay. I there was a of course you have the Kalen Culpepper web gem. Every time that we don't mention there's a game with a Kalen Culper web. Webjam, just assume it happened <laughs> because it, it's going to happen. But to, to me, the, the biggest thing that I took away from this was it was really just they chipped away. And I think that's the best. I think that's going to be the main weakness of this K-State team is we will have innings where we just go off offensively. But the defense and the pitching is still kind of a question mark. I, I do think it'll probably end up net being better than last year, because I think we have better arms than last year, although we don't have, like, Kyler Haney, for example. Um, but I, I think that that... If there's one question that I have after the first four games, it's uh, can K-State keep teams from chipping away at their lead, which jury's out so far. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um... And this game was very winnable. Uh, really, it was just the uh, the one missed fly ball that really turned the tide. in this one from uh, Kyan Lotus, who is not a natural right fielder, uh, and just completely misjudged a fly ball, which is really unfortunate, because uh, I, I do think Lotus is a high-potential player. Uh, and there's a lot to really like about his game. He just isn't quite there yet, and... That one play probably ultimately did cost us the game, unfortunately, but um, it, it still wasn't an insurmountable deficit that we we faced. We could have come back from it. So I don't want to entirely pin it on him. Uh, that was probably just the turning point of the
0: game. Yeah. But the next matchup up against Boston College went considerably better for K-State. And this was the, I believe, 3rd Second or third start of Tyrell's career in a K-State uniform. But I covered the batters last time, so you can get them this time.
1: Yeah, uh, so um, quite a few doubles in this game. Uh, Chuck Ingram had two. Uh, he uh, he had a much better game in this one. He went two for four with an RBI and a walk. Uh, did strike out twice, but K-State's just always going to be heavy on the strikeouts. It is what it is. Uh, Caitlin Culpepper went one for four with an RBI as well. Loebliner had two RBIs uh, on just one of four. Um, Daniel Rivera walked. Um, Brady Day walked twice, so back to his, uh, his usual ways of last year. Um, and then the bottom of the lineup, uh, English had the hit, the true freshman out of Olita, uh, who is a um, catcher slash outfielder. We had him in right... Uh, in place of Lotus for this game. Uh, and then Pelletier and Bishop, uh, they each registered a hit and an RBI. Uh, but it was a pretty even dispersal, all things considered, uh, over uh, on this entire game. Chuck Ingram is the only guy with multiple hits, and this one day um, had multiple walks. Uh, but uh, And Brendan Jones got hit by a pitch as well. But that... Uh, that was really about it. There were three double plays as well in this game. K State, I think, is about at the top of the country right now in terms of uh, double plays. Uh, double plays turned. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we we definitely ground into a lot of double plays, but we're also going to um, get other teams in double play situations with Cole Pepper at shortstop, Day at second, and then David Bishop at first has been fairly decent so far this year too, and he's been a As far as nine-hole hitters go, he's been solid, I think. Can't really be too upset if your nine-hole hitter isn't exactly raking.
0: No, you can't be that mad about it. But on the mound is where a lot of good was seen for K-State, including Ty Rule, who ended up going six innings, four hits, only two earned, three walks, and six strikeouts. The only complaint I had is that he was left in for too long uh, because the seventh inning was really the only inning where BC was making, even remotely, something resembling a push. And then maker ended up coming in in relief, had a pretty tough day. But then Blake Dean came in for the three-inning save with only a walk and six strikeouts, only giving up, well, exactly zero hits. <laughs> yeah. So Blake Dean was a, a massive surprise coming into this game. We were high on him, but we didn't... We I don't think even we were 3 innings no hit <laughs> high on him. Yeah.
1: Like I I saw him in K-State's fall game against Iowa Western and I thought, "Oh, this guy's good. He could he could be a decent reliever." But this definitely exceeded my early season expectations uh for him. But it's clear that K-State is very high on Blake Dean playing him this early.
0: Yeah. That that's pretty much it for the BC game. Ended up winning 6 to 4, but then the Georgetown game. This one ended up coming down to the wire, and by coming down to the wire, I mean we sweated it a little bit more than we probably should have. Uh, it was a seven to six Wildcat victory, and the first uh, time we saw Tyson Neighbors this year, we ended up giving up a two home to a uh, two run homer whenever he made his first appearance. But in terms of offense, there's a lot to like here. Brendan Jones ends up going two for four with a home run. Chuck Ingram also goes two for four with a home run and a walk and a strikeout. In fact, the only difference between Brendan Jones and Chuck Ingram's stat line is the number of RBI and the left on base. <laughs> uh, Kalen Culpepper, one for five, including an absolute missile. To <laughs> Whenever Kalen Culpepper's hitting the ball this year, he's hitting nukes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, low also goes, Brady Day and low also go two of three and the entire bottom half of the lineup failed to record a hit, but yeah, it was a massive home run day for K-State and I think that's probably the best way to put it, though there was an error from Daniel Rivera, his first on the year. it was just an overthrow, but you have the pitching.
1: Yeah, this was the first time we saw uh, four pitchers in a game. Uh, We saw a new pitcher, uh, I believe a transfer from Wabash Valley, Mm -hmm. uh, Jacob Frost. He uh, started in this game. He went five innings, uh, only gave up three hits um, and one earned run. Uh, So one of those runs was off of, uh, because he did give up two total runs. uh, One of those was off of the error from Rivera. Uh, But three walks, four strikeouts, did hit a batter. Uh, He went 95 pitches as far as a day three pitcher goes, I was fairly impressed with him, especially given our history with struggling to find a day three pitcher. Uh, but Frost was pretty solid, I thought, for his first outing on the year. We also saw Preston Martinez for the first time this season. He went two-thirds of an inning and gave up two earned runs on two hits uh, and also hit a batter. Uh, so just 14 pitches for him was not fantastic, uh, only facing uh uh, three or only, uh, facing five batters so not the best day uh, or best debut uh, for Preston Martinez who's a guy who I do like I, I do think he uh, brings value to this team as a, a weird arm angle guy and uh, is generally got some good stuff it just wasn't his day uh, but then Jackson Wentworth uh, he um, pitched for the second time uh, this weekend, and he gets credit with the win in this one. He goes two and a third with two strikeouts, uh, faces seven batters, and disposes with all of them in just 23 pitches. Uh, really, really good stuff from Jackson Wentworth. Uh, did He does occasionally give up solid contact at the outfield, uh, which is one of the drawbacks, I guess, with Wentworth. Uh, so he may be a guy that's better away than at home, but Wentworth is... The comeback. He he's definitely a lot better. He uh, he took a massive step forward, which that's something that we speculated could happen given how long Tommy John takes to recover from, and that's what we dealt with as a true freshman. But now he's a redshirt sophomore, a full two years removed from that, and he looks like a different pitcher uh, at this point, and he's doing really well. And Tyson Neighbors, we saw him for the first time this year, not his best day. Uh, he still uh, finished in Tyson Neighbors fashion, uh, but he pitches one inning. Gives up a hit, two earned runs, one walk, and then two strikeouts. So he did finish on uh, a good note, but he um, did have to make it a little bit dramatic, which I think is maybe what he prefers, honestly. I, I think that he he sometimes thrives in the high-pressure situations that he creates for himself.
0: Yeah, we call that the neighbor's special.
1: Yeah, uh, he, he likes to make it a little dramatic. He likes to make it worth the price of entry. Uh, but he he's still a very entertaining pitcher.
0: Yeah. Then the final game we have to talk about is up against Arizona State. They Arizona State ended up walking away with the win 9 to 6. And this is the definition of a team that just chips away at your lead and refuses to go away. And because after not scoring in the first two, they score 3 in the third, 1 in the fourth miss out on an inning, and then score at least one in every inning afterwards, one in the sixth, two in the seventh, two in the eighth. This was a team that just refused to go away, and I think Arizona State's probably a little underrated because the, the their main question is pitching. Their offense is not their question at all, and it never has been. But uh, you have the batters this time around.
1: Yeah, so Brendan Jones leading off again. Uh, goes 0 of 2, but he draws three walks. Uh, So, striking out twice but drawing three walks, that is vintage Brendan Jones. Uh, High K rate, but he will definitely be walking a lot as well. He fishes for the walk a lot, unless he gets his pitch and then he's driving out. He's one of the strangest leadoff guys I've I've ever seen. Uh, But Chuck Ingram didn't have uh, the best day. He went 0-for-1, did score a run because he drew a walk, uh, but didn't um, record a hit this one. Just one strikeout. Uh, Caitlin Culpepper um, dropped an absolute missile that I don't think has come back down. Uh, uh, he went two for three, uh, that solo home run, uh, and also drew a couple of walks. One of them was an the intentional walk, I believe, as well. Yeah, it was. So, Kaelin Culpepper's getting the star treatment uh, this season. He has earned it. Uh, Brady Day, he had a pretty clutch day hitting as well. He um, drove in two, uh, two runs two for four on the day and then also took in a walk as well. Just one strikeout. So pretty good day for him. Jada Loebliner kind of came back down to earth a bit. 0 for three, but he still drew two walks. uh, Then left the bases loaded at one point, which that's a trend. Uh, Kyan Lotus went one for four uh, with two strikeouts. He left the bases loaded at one point as well. Nick English came in and uh, pinch hit in the top of the ninth and had a sack fly. So we got an RBI out of it. Daniel Rivera... He went one for four. Uh, also dropped yeah, a nuke. Yeah, when he uh, he dropped a nuke too. Uh, and then drew a walk as well. Uh, Raphael Pelletier, one for four with two strikeouts. Uh, and then Carson Quek came in, the pinch hit uh, for him in the bottom, or the top of the ninth. And he struck out, unfortunately. After getting ahead in the count 2-0, they changed pitchers on him. And that's just a tough situation. But So he leaves the bases loaded on what could have been uh, a... Uh, uh, lead-taking Grand Slam. Uh, and then David Bishop, he went 0-2, but he scored two runs because uh, he walked twice uh, and left one on. But yeah, K-State left the bases loaded three times in this one. Uh, really, really unfortunate. So they had their chances uh, to win it. Uh, they just couldn't quite get over the hump in this one. They couldn't quite hold off Arizona State long enough, unfortunately. But they um, they put up a valiant effort in a difficult road environment on a random Tuesday. The, I don't I generally don't make too much of these midweek games, although this is a
0: unfortunate missed opportunity. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it, is missed opportunity of missed opportunities. Owen Borma was the starting pitcher. Ends up going four and two thirds with four earned runs, four walks, nine strikeouts. His K rate is way way up, but so is his base on ball rate. Um, which is, you know, he was a he was a pretty good strikeout pitcher last year, but it, it's gotten much, much more volatile, I think is probably the way to say it. But Blake Dean, unfortunately, ends up getting pegged with a loss here. Two innings, five hits, three earned, one walk, two strikeouts, and a wild pitch and a hit-by-pitch. Then Tyson Neighbors gives up two runs as well, but he only gives one walk, three strikeouts, and a wild pitch. So, again... It was just a tough day for the pitching. I will say that the strike zone, the strike zone was was really bad. Yeah,
1: this was a brutal strike zone both ways. Uh, we'll, well, we'll give credit where credit's due. They it was consistent. Uh, they were very consistent in not giving anyone anything. I mean, we threw 167 pitches in this game, but Arizona State threw 200 pitches yeah. in, <laughs> in this game as well, and they won. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and we saw um, eight. Arizona State pitchers in this game. So they brought out all the stops uh, to um, get this one over K-State. So that goes to show the type of of team that K-State is viewed as this year. For the first time in a very long time or a decade, K-State kinda has a target on their back. So we may have to get used to seeing eight pitchers in a game in a a random midweek, which is not a position you really want to be in. No, it's not where you want to be. The only time you want to be in that sort of position is because you're dropping 20 runs.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But in terms of what's up next for the Batcats, they have the weekend series up against Holy Cross, which is their home opener. And then next weekend, they have no midweek games, but they do play up against UMass Lowell. And then the week after that is a massive two midweek games against Tennessee and Clemson. And if you want to know what this team is, you will find out after Tennessee and Clemson.
1: Yeah, that is the sort of series where I would not be shocked if Borama on Friday is limited to two or three innings because we want to pitch him on Tuesday against Tennessee. And we may see something similar for Clemson with uh, Roll. Or maybe we see somebody different, but that is a massive two-game stretch with two road games against uh, ranked teams. Uh, That's going to be in uh, the spring break window, I think, uh, for uh, K-State students. But they're road games, so that's not going to be too much of a negative. But I'm glad that we have these uh, two series upcoming against Holy Cross and UMass Lowell. Uh, to hopefully figure out a little bit more of our bullpen situation, uh, but got to take care of business against those teams, yeah, absolutely.
0: <sighs> Men's basketball, um, lost up against TCU 75 72, it was a heartbreaker on a last second guy looked like a mermaid shooting the ball, three, um, yeah. I was only
1: able to watch a little bit of this because I was busy for the first half and then I listened to the rest of it while I was driving to Manhattan for the women's game. So I was like about to pull into the Aggieville Brewing uh, parking lot uh, when Jameer Nelson Jr. hit the three and I was already devastated, but then I saw the video of what it actually was (laughs) later and I just crumbled. I couldn't believe it. Uh, shout out Aggieville Brewing, fantastic food. They should sponsor us. But the, it was a, a really a, that's another heartbreaker. Which I guess at some point it's hard to call them heartbreakers if we're used to them. Yeah, I mean I, I feel nothing. But I I don't know if I want to hit everybody from this game.
0: No, you can just read the read, you can just read the three point stats. That's all that matters. Yeah, we went one of fifteen from three in
1: this game. Um, the only make was from Arthur Kaluma, and I think that was pretty early as well. Yep um but uh Kalima went 3 of 11, Cam went 1 of 7. Perry went 06 from 3, but he did have 6 shots and 12 of 12 at the free throw line, so he did contribute. He had 24. Uh, so I'm I'm not going to Tyler Perry's not the the
0: object of anger. Sorry, I think for this one. Sorry if he just heard me die. Step my own leg. Yeah. But as
1: uh, rough game, David Gasson, he was good. In this one, he had 12 on 5 of 6, 2 of 2 at the free throw line. Good job, Dave. Then four rebounds, three of them offensive rebounds, just two fouls, and added an assist with no turnovers, three blocks, and a steal. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's genuinely... I can't think of a better game to ask for from David Gasson uh, than that. And supposedly, he's playing through injury right now as well. Uh, so it's nice to see uh, him really playing with some passion and uh, really, uh, um, putting himself on the line for the team in a situation where a lot of guys probably wouldn't. So, pretty awesome for David Gasan. Really nice performance.
0: Yeah, I mean, other than that, I I really don't feel like talking about this game. I don't feel like talking about this team, honestly. Yeah, they went twenty-five to twenty-nine at the free throw line good for them that's pretty good yeah that, uh, is, that is pretty good that's genuinely good yeah that is that is genuinely good just can't go 1 of 15 from three at home no and you also can't give up I think it's a 20 to two run yeah the, the 20 to two run
1: how, how could we forget but just a brutal
0: brutal loss
1: this is the sort of loss where if we miss the tournament when yeah when we, we miss the tournament we're gonna look at at games like this in particular. Home game, very winnable game. Just let slip away. It's so tough, so tough. Yep.
0: Uh, Last one's up against Texas, sixty-two to fifty-six victory. You can tell I don't want to talk about this team. Uh, (laughs) uh, Sixty-two to fifty-six loss. uh, Sixty-two to fifty-six loss. My fault. Uh, Yeah, I I would have been actually happy if we won. But again, this. The only thing that people are going to remember about this game is going 5 19 from 3 and Day-Day Ames lining someone towards the back end of the game. That's all that's going to be remembered in this game.
1: David Kassan had a pretty solid game again in his own right. Yeah. Uh, he had 12. 2 7 at the line is pretty bad. But 5 of 8 from the field, 7 rebounds. Did have 4 fouls in this one, but added an assist. No turnovers again, which is key. Uh, which, K-State did kind of keep the turnovers down in this one, honestly. I mean, Tyler Perry had six, which is brutal, but we only had 13 as a team, which is still a lot, but it's below our average of, I believe, 15. Yeah. So, small victories, since we're not getting actual ones, but uh, still a, a rough performance. Nobody really shot efficiently other than Dave, uh, which... Famous last words for a <laughs> basketball season is the the only reliable shooter we have is David Gasson. Uh, but Art just wasn't finding the bottom of the bucket. Cam went 2 of 10. Perry, he went 3 of 8 from 3, which is fine, I guess. Uh, 5 of 13 from the field was pretty rough. Um, did have 3 steals. I mean, this was a game that we did really cut down at the end, but just again we couldn't get over the hump that's kind of been the story of this team is we're very good at cutting the lead down we're very good when our back is up against the wall and it's now or never but then once we play ourselves out of that position we just don't know what to do yeah uh it's just pretty brutal
0: unfortunately
1: just uh it's been a really rough uh back half of the schedule for uh k-state
0: yeah and I, I hate to sound apathetic, but I also am apathetic. So I, <laughs> I, this is a team that's going to miss the NCAA tournament, barring a miracle run to end the season, and also probably winning the Big Twelve tournament. We're just—it's yeah. th- just not a very good team. And I, I, I don't want to say I don't care at all because it's a K State team. Like I, I'm going to care about my alma mater's team, but like, it's gotten—it's gotten to the point where. Every time we lose, I'm not thinking, oh, damn, we lost. I'm thinking, yeah, that's about right.
1: Yeah. And uh, the women's team has been doing so well that I think it's also helped kind of soften the blow. I mean, the women are 23-4. and I know people have been kind of on them recently because they have had a bit of a rough stretch, but they're still 23-4 and and unbeaten at home. Uh, So let's uh, uh, maybe be grateful, I guess, (laughs) because it could be much worse looking at... A different team but if there's gonna be a run which there probably won't be but if there is going to be this saturday they play ranked byu uh they put up a valiant effort uh in provo so they get them back in manhattan and if byu is not shooting the lights out from three which we certainly won't be but if they aren't then we uh this could be an opportunity for a quad one win that we just desperately, desperately need. Uh, and then two days later, we'll get West Virginia at home, which we beat them once on the road already. So theoretically, we should be able to at least be competitive in that game. So there there's a possibility here for us to get at least a couple more wins in the upcoming uh, five.
0: I'm, uh, I'm not really happy about the last few, <laughs> but... But, but we do
1: have the opportunity here, where if we play our cards right, we could be going into Cincinnati with a two-game win streak, and if we get really lucky, we'd be getting to lose that three-game win streak after we lose to KU <laughs> and Allen. and Then we'll get a rematch against Iowa State at home to end the year uh, where maybe we can um, put in Tame and have and have him like, smack uh, Tame and Lipsy. By the way, those are two different names. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I i think that's all I have to say. Yeah,
1: I don't have anything else for men's basketball. We do have a couple other sports to briefly touch on.
0: Yeah, you can you can talk about those.
1: Yeah, uh, the tennis team is ranked. Granted, tennis rankings go all the way down to seventy five. Yeah, we are not ranked seventy fifth though. We're ranked like fifty third. Yeah, uh, so still in the bottom third <laughs> of the rankings, but we hey, were there. Given that last year we went like 2 and 20 in tennis and right now we're 6 and 2 headed to conference play. I'm going to give them some flowers. I'm 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 going to be grateful that we have a team on campus that is winning even if it is tennis. Uh, Vanessa Suarez is 58th ranked uh, nationally as an individual as well for tennis. Uh, they have Iowa State coming up and Iowa State sucks. So <laughs> they they should be able to uh, get a win there, uh, gets a seven and two. Is there tennis bracketology? Do you think? I don't know. Maybe MJ from Kansas. If you're listening to this, you're the only person that seemed to be knowledgeable when replying to our <laughs> earlier tennis tweet. Uh, so let us know how we're doing now. Uh, Cause we only have two losses on the year and they're both, they were both like fairly close to like quality squads. But beyond that we have indoor tennis, big 12, meet coming up yeah indoor track yeah i said indoor tennis i'm an indoor track uh but indoor track uh big 12 championship is coming up a few notable performers there uh monique hardy for women's weight throw i think at one point she won like six or seven meets in a row or something crazy like that um and then our um men's four by four relay uh At one point, this year was number one in the Big 12. Uh, Right now, they have the eighth fastest time in the country uh, for a 4x4. And they are about two seconds off the number one time, which is uh, Arizona State. And there's only one Big 12 team ahead of us. And they're ahead of us by 0.13 seconds. And that's Texas Tech. So there's a non-zero chance that we'll take gold at Big 12. Uh, at the Big 12 meet, in the uh, uh, the big event, uh, I mean, every track meet that's ever existed has ended with a 4x4. Four four. I don't know why that's a tradition, but every single track meet ends with a 4x4. Four four. Well, because it's probably one of the most fun to watch. That is true. So that's actually probably what it is. But uh, we have that, and then, of course, we always have high jumpers as well to keep our eyes on, but... Um, I think D. Scott Fritchin wrote a piece on the anchor of the 4x4 relay team, Tavon Underwood, who is somebody I think that we might have talked about or tweeted about at one point because he's a true freshman and his, like, high school sprint times were absolutely nuts. And, like, like he had, like, a 100- or 200-meter time that would have, like, like, gotten us points at the NCAA Outdoor Nationals like in uh, uh, last year. So... There's some like, genuinely good athletes on the uh, track team, and we have not really covered them much since the incident, but uh, I guess this is just our wacky segment for this week. Uh, it's, it feels a little rude to them, but it is kind of our wacky segment this week, is uh, uh, covering the tennis and uh, track teams because uh, they, they've earned the coverage. They, they've they been successful. Tennis has far exceeded any expectations, but I had none. I, I, I figured we were done for. Uh, after last year, but now they're conscious this year and actually trying, which is cool. But and then the um, track team uh, seems like historically we've performed better outdoor than we have indoor, uh, from what little track I follow. Uh, I don't know if that will still be true now that we have a better indoor facility with like a bank track and everything. Uh, but I guess we'll see. I'm I'm curious uh, to see how the the rest of the uh, Uh, track season goes and tennis season goes once we hit conference play and outdoor play but those two sports are respectively uh, doing pretty well right now and they don't often get a lot of coverage so shout out to tennis and track
0: i agree but that pretty much wraps up this episode of the aggie vote Cats podcast thank you all so much for listening if you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville ACATS. cats And if you want to email us, we're Alleycats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Bounces or capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out both the supporters link and the official Aggieville AlleyCats merch store. Both are linked in our Twitter and podcast bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Cats podcast. Or come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Valley Cats.